hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 365 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19, soon to be 20 year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. We got a good show for you. Highly evolved human. Nick Ross can be featured on the show. Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. Nick Ross took notes on his surreal, bizarre experience of becoming a young adult with cancer, and his experiences led him to create the highly evolved human theatrical web series on, on Soul Pancake. We're going to find out how he came up with that name. Nick joins us to talk about how cancer is represented in the media. I had the privilege of meeting him at the uh, Teenage Cancer Trust meeting, and he is a CancerCon alum. Survivor Spotlight on Breast Cancer Survivor Ariel Donovan. Going to be a great show. Hello. Full house. Sean, Noel, Kenny, Mallory, Janine. Hi. Hello. All of you at once. Shout out. Hey. <laughs> let's go Royals. No, let's not go Royals. <laughs> Kenny, you had the greatest Facebook post of all time. The guy with the butt crack? Yeah, the guy with the butt crack. <laughs> Drowning his stars with the TV on. Last night was very bizarre. I was at my new end of the block bar in Brooklyn and there were people who were clearly on multiple substances at the bar <laughs> and that gentleman in particular uh, had maybe taken one too many shots and he was uh, essentially sleeping at the bar crying his well, once the away. 12th inning started you knew it was I, all... I didn't even stick around for no. it yeah it uh, uh, I mean happy to say that we got there but yeah you know, it wasn't really expecting uh I just love all the Mets people that are like, well, we got this far. Right. Let's be happy we got this far. I mean, every 15 years we do something. Yeah, every 15 years, pretty much. Exactly. 
Exactly. I look forward to being 43. And yeah. <laughs> Joined again. Yeah. Mal, what's going on? How you been? Oh, you know, all over the place so, a little. Wait, so in the saga of people who I work for me that have moved, you're done. I'm done. Sean's done. Noel, you just moved. I just moved this weekend, yeah. Okay. We're all done moving. <laughs> At least for a short <laughs> while. <laughs> Until the next hire. I think there's some there's some year-long leases happening. Yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Well, this weekend was eventful. It wasn't only the um, the World Series, but it was the New York City Marathon. We had some great team members, right, Sean? Yeah, we had a great team of seven runners repping uh, Team Stupid Cancer. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, who won? The marathon? <laughs> a Kenyan. A Kenyan. Wait, wait. Not, let, not any of our folks. Let me check my Captain Obvious meter there. They always win. They're very fast. No? That's racist. That's not racist. They're very fast. They consistently win. Therefore, they are very, very fast. I'm not trying to promote another podcast, but there is a podcast called Radio Lab that did an entire episode dedicated to um, why. I love Radio Lab. Yeah, and they talk about one episode specifically about how they're so well engineered and trained to to win marathons. No, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I love Radio Lab. Anyway, what else is going on, Kenny? How you been? Uh, good. I don't know. A lot of go- lot going on and nothing going on at the same time. Well, OMG West is um, barreling down to this in less than a month. It is 20 days away, maybe 19 days away. 19 Irvine? days away. I think I'm speaking. You, Yeah, you, you said you're coming out now. Yeah. Good. Good for you. The whole gang's back together. Let's make sure we're not all on the same plane. We're not. We're not. Okay, It's good. been handled. <laughs> okay, make sure of that. The days of us sitting next to a plane or sitting on a plane next to each other. Yeah, are numbered. Good. And uh, CancerCon is, uh, again, barreling towards us rapidly. And uh, exhibitor registration is live. If you work for a nonprofit or know someone who does that would like to uh, have a very positive experience meeting your community, we would encourage you to become a nonprofit exhibitor at CancerCon. And I think the big news that I'm most excited about, I talked to you briefly about this, but we haven't had our, our complete debrief, was the uh, CancerCon steering committee went off on an excursion in Colorado. We did. We had a weekend-long retreat in the mountains in Colorado. It was a good time. All of our uh, volunteers, we have a committee of eight, and Allie, uh, myself, and Thea all went up to the mountains and locked ourselves in a house for 48 hours and got some stuff done. Very impressive. Worth it, I hope. Absolutely worth it. We have a really awesome committee who have uh, some pretty cool people we're very excited to make CancerCon as awesome as possible. Very nice. Very nice. And speaking of which, Sean, you want to say the VIP Club? Yes. <clears throat> the VIP Club is an incredible opportunity to help make CancerCon awesome. So everything is under underway. And uh, it's a great way to earn travel funds, uh, have your registration covered, and all that good stuff. So, And how can someone sign up for VIP Club? Visit CancerCon.org and you will see... Um, uh, both buttons to get involved as well as earn travel funds or just scroll down and you'll see uh, everything you need to know about how to sign up. And last question before we hit the show, what everyone go as for Halloween? I was a lumberjack. Okay. Rock the beard. No. I worked at a moving company. You were, oh, okay, that was your costume? Moving? Pretty much. You were a mover? I didn't dress up, but Jesse, however... My dog. I saw the, the the photo in the in the bag. <laughs> she was a seal. Uh, oh, yes. Okay. So she was a seal for Halloween. So I I pushed it over to her. And Kenny Hipster. I was a disenfranchised Met fan. Uh, and Janine. I was the Hamburglar. 
Really? Yeah. That's, are you, yeah, okay. That's like a totally like 70s character, right? My boyfriend was the burger. Oh, okay. Oh, you were the hamburglar and, <laughs> and he, was he was the burger? burger yeah. Very nice, very nice. I went as um, a, a bald Binghamton student. <laughs> I just knew my Binghamton hoodie and I was still bald. So I just, that was my flashback. Kobe was a ghost and Hannah was Sophia the first. Ah, so fun apparently next year he wants to be a Shopkins. What is that? I don't know. Oh, well, you have a year to figure it out. Shopkins is this new brand of micro um, kitchen appliance plastic dolls. It's very strange. Anyone listening, not in their head, knows either know what Shopkins are or you don't. I think I've I've heard of it. What, what do kids do this these days? They now? play with I. They're playing with these tiny little plastic. There's like a one of them's like a microwave. One of them's a fridge. One of them's a blender. One of them is like a pea, a pea pod. One of them is a teacup. It's really weird. They put faces on like household objects. One of so them. So basically, like, it's like the action figure version of the Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a Windex bottle with eyeballs. It's it's and they're they're tiny and it's and they come in little shopping bags. It's very strange. Whatever floats their boat. On that note, <laughs> let's kick off the show. In our spotlight. Ariel Donovan, breast cancer survivor, currently living in Chicago, diagnosed in 2012 at the age of 26 while in med school and just two days before getting married. Huzzah! She has been in remission since March of 2015 and is a veteran of CancerCon. Please welcome to the show Ariel Donovan. Hello! Hi! You gotta love the young adult stories. Diagnosed while pregnant, diagnosed after the day you got engaged, diagnosed two days before getting married. It's like this is what makes us different. And congratulations, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yes, I'm getting married, that is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we typically like to ask the question what were you doing six months before your diagnosis, just to put the framework that you were probably just living your life being 26. Um, yeah, I had just finished medical school and was planning this wedding with my fiance and, um, I have started getting pain in my armpit and, um, I like to procrastinate and put things off as late as possible and he started insisting that I get it checked out. (laughs) So, so he was really the nudge that made it work. Made it happen. Definitely. Well, I, I knew I had the lump um, back in 2010. I was in medical school, and I got it biopsied right away. Uh, it did not turn out to be cancerous at the time. And they, my doctor had told me to uh, do follow-ups and get, you know, don't sweep this under the rug, which is exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, my career is so important and no one my age gets cancer and it doesn't run in my family. And I didn't have any of the genetic tests come back that I had it in my family. So um, I thought I was good to go. (laughs) So what would possess you to get a a screening two days before your wedding? Um, You know, it just kind of worked out that way. It about... Uh, let's see, I got married in October, so in about June, it's, my armpit started really bothering me, and uh, we were, I was living, I wasn't living in Colorado, and my fiance was living in, in uh, Houston, and um, we were going to move to Chicago <laughs> right after our wedding for his job, and I was kind of in the middle of 
trying to figure out which doctors I wanted to start seeing. And, you know, by the time I got an appointment and the biopsy scheduled and it just kind of worked out that way that I didn't get that news until that week. And you still powered through the wedding. Barely. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 26 and he's 27 and there's no way neither one of us would want to go through with this. I was ready to, to run, <laughs> but he, uh, my husband Gage, he was like, we can do this together and I love you and life's one big adventure and we'll, we'll hit the ground running fighting cancer. So I noticed here your dad is also a cancer survivor or is he still in treatment or what's, what's going with him? Um, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in, uh, 2008, I want to say, and was in remission, um, and then about, I want to say it's been about a year now, he found out he had MDS. He's got two mutated chromosomes, um, and he's in the middle of trying to figure out which treatment plan he wants to go to, but it looks like he might have AML now. Wow. So, yeah. So, yes, life is truly a journey. So your husband, uh, I'm reading, is a flight attendant. He, is he often away? You know, it was really bad when we first moved to Chicago, um, which sucked for me because I'm, I'm, I, being in medical school, I'm super um, indecisive about doctors and their backgrounds, and I want the best care. And so I was going back and forth between which hospital I wanted to get treated at, which made my schedule super inconvenient for him. And um, so he, in the beginning, when we first moved to Chicago, it was pretty bad. He was gone a lot, but... Um, Luckily, now we've been here for a few years, and he gains seniority as the longer he's with the company. So um, it's been a lot better. And uh, can you share what it's been like for him as a caregiver? Uh, <laughs> um, I think me being in medical school was probably the worst because I, you know, I would go to these appointments and they'd lay out treatment plans, and I'm like, well, the studies on this show. <laughs> You know, infertility is this high from this treatment, and I had all these this knowledge from th these medications and chemotherapy that they wanted to put me on, and I was just, I was the numbers person, and he would get <laughs> so frustrated with me because, um, you know, I, I needed to be a patient and not a doctor when, when thinking about myself. And um, I would always second-guess every single decision that they put in front of me. Um, so I think he was really frustrated. But I also think that um, he's, he's just scared like any, you know, significant other would be. And uh, luckily, things turned out in my favor. But, um, gosh, I don't know. It was, it was a crazy first couple years of marriage. What, uh, where were you treated, and what, was, what were you staged at initially? Um, I started out at Northwestern um, at Stage 3B, and I ended up moving over to Swedish Covenant, which has ended up being much closer to where I live in the city. Um, Chicago has, like New York, terrible traffic and parking, and right. it just, my mental sanity was going crazy having to commute downtown all the time, so um, we decided to go with a hospital that's much closer. So in the spirit of everything you've come to learn, we're going to talk about your experience at CancerCon, talk about jumping into the deep end of the pool for your first uh, foray. 
what uh, what types of reproductive or fertility preservation were you presented with at all? None. Um, when they found out how long I had kind of let this go on, it was, we need to get treated immediately. And these are your best... I got to choose which type of chemotherapy I wanted to do, which I want most aggressive first with the uh, adriamycin, the red devil chemotherapy. Right. Um, which is really crap for fertility. Um, so, and by the time I realized that this was going to be a much longer journey than I expected, um, cause I was on treatment for three years, um, that it was kind of too late for me. The, the odds that I would have healthy eggs is kind of surpassed. So, um, I wish, I feel like the, the hospitals that I went to, maybe because um, I feel like the clinics I was at were mainly targeted for older women. Right. Um, and I feel like I was kind of in that small percentage where they don't see that a lot, which is so frustrating because fertility isn't, wasn't number one on their, on their platform for treating me. Right. That that is one of the major and again you you know this cuz you're drinking our Kool-Aid, but that is clearly one of the most um necessary messages and wrongs we have to write is that you have the you have that that civil liberty to be told that anything related to your cancer treatment could jeopardize your reproductive health and what are the rights that you're entitled to to, to uh, prior preservation or embryo uh banking and whatnot. Um, it, it's a shame that it, it is still happening. And especially, I mean, Northwestern has probably the most credible oncofertility infrastructure for young adults in the country. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know. And actually, I will be in Chicago uh, Wednesday for the Oncofertility Consortium Conference. Uh, which is that, at Northwestern. Which right? is at Northwestern. Yes, exactly. I'll say yeah. hi for you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, to be honest, um their treatment plan did not suit my medical school OCD. Um, so back and forth between the different doctors and trying to figure out which clinics, I didn't stick around at Northwestern too long. Um, right. So. so across these three years, between your diagnosis in 2012 and then jumping in the pool in Denver this spring, were you at all made aware of community or resources specific to not being 80 you know, my dad had heard about First Ascent on NPR, which, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm sure you guys talk about them, but uh, they do those awesome trips for uh, cancer survivors that are young adults uh, where you learn how to kayak and surf. And I actually haven't been on a trip yet, but he told me to check it out, and uh, I did. I, they had a really cool rock climbing day here in Chicago. Um, where it was uh, an, an indoor rock climbing, um, like, outing. And I went. I was really scared. <laughs> um, and I loved it. I loved talking to other survivors and learning that uh, it sucks no matter what age you are, what type of cancer you have. It just, cancer sucks. And I went home and I was trying to do more research on first ascents and stupid cancer started... <laughs> You gotta love Facebook and their and their algorithms for advertising and what have you. But uh, stupid cancer showed up on my Facebook feed, 
and I was like, well, first the sense that outing went pretty well. Um, I should check out what this is. So yeah, we do. We do a lot of good partnership work with FD. I mean, we obviously do very different things, but we do very different things that are in tremendous complement to one another. And um, I don't know if you met Daryl, Brad Ludden, um, the former uh, board chair and president but Ryan O'Donohue and I are, are, go back many, many years. FD does extraordinary work. They change lives, and it's a wonderful thing. So you found out about Stupid Kids through a Facebook ad. Kudos to Kenny Kane for building up our yeah. ad, ad structure. Yay. Yeah, you. And you decided that that's a big leap to, to head over to Denver. Uh, were you? Did you come with your husband? I did. Um, actually, I saw that there was a Stupid Cancer meetup nearby in Milwaukee um, where I met Vanessa Hood, your awesome lady there who raised, was it like $11,000? How much did she raise last year for Cancer Dawn? Yeah, a lot, yes. <laughs> and uh, she was like, dude, you got to go to Cancer Dawn. I'm going, I'm raising money, and I met her at that meetup, and um, I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and uh, that was two cancer meetups that I had had um, after going through cancer with no meetups. And um, I, my family happens to live in Colorado, so I figured if it was a bust, I could just go visit them. <laughs> and it, I didn't see them that entire weekend. <laughs> right. It was just life-changing. And you were on one of our panels, right? Uh, for the New York um, Right, summit. here. Yeah, because yeah. I just saw you. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are, you are completely our walking billboard. I, I am. I I. I, I don't know what else to say. It's a verbal diarrhea, stupid cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. So, so I guess it, I don't think we've had a med student, young adult survivor on the show in a while or, or at all, if I can recall. That's a very unique place to be, and you were very astute in pointing out that it probably put you in a very unique position to have discussions with the doctors. Uh, is that still the case in all of your follow-ups? Um, I backed off a lot <laughs> as um, as requested by my husband um, because I was not making any friends. <laughs> um, but I feel like I still love doing the research and the, the I like to see the graphs and stuff behind the medication, what, anything they want to put me on. Um, but I feel like I've been out of the game for, you know, um, four, three years now that it's not as OCD as it used to be. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> that's helped a lot. Um, but I, I feel like I'll always, to some extent, have that medical background where I'll want to double-check double everyone. <laughs> so where are you now in your career? I mean, we're hoping things are settling down. It's been several years now. Are you going to go back to med school? Um. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am outside the window of my license exam, so um, I would have to start over for my what's called the United States Medical License Exam, um, and it's a very, very long test um, that spans over several years. Um, so I, I don't think so. I I graduated, and I'm happy that I have that piece of paper, but I feel like I feel like life has put me in a different direction and um i as long as you guys will have me i'll be spitting out stupid cancer and uh 
Um, I don't know. I haven't been in remission that long, just since March. Right. So I'm still coming off that chemotherapy grossness that is, you know, treatment. Um, but uh, who knows? I, you never know what life's going to throw at you. So uh, you, you're obviously you're coming across and, and self-admittedly a very type A person in terms of your methodis, methodical nature. Um, did that help or hurt you? And is that something that you would encourage people to have in their own treatments? What, like, what would you say to other people who've gone through this? Oh, um, I think it's okay. Um, when I started getting really, really obsessive about doing the research on some of this chemotherapy, I started learning about other forms of chemotherapy that weren't so hard on my fertility. And, had I not been so adamant about constantly reading, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, because I honestly think that the Internet, when you're sick, can really be your worst enemy. Yep. Um, you'll, you'll, I mean, you will find things out there that will just scare you. <laughs> and, and so it, it, you don't want to doctor yourself via, you know, WebMD. But um, <clears throat> I was really, really glad that I had kept up on what they were trying to treat me with and trying to look at new studies that had shown what infertility, what the outcome was going to be for people and in in, in infertility um, on these drugs they were giving me. So I think it's good to be on top of things like that. But I would just say, don't, don't go too crazy. You just have to take everything with a grain of salt. Well, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for your, for being so brave as to come on the air. I mean, coming to a conference is one thing, but coming on the air is another thing, and uh, you're a rock star. Uh, I'm sorry you had to join the club that no one wants to belong to, but once you're here, you are truly our family and and uh, a real amazing story. So, um, Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Ariel Donovan, one of our rock stars. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, bye. All right, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own cancer meetup, stupid cancer meetup, that is, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, this is why I'm uh, a little off base. We have a long list. Bloomington, Broomfield, Denver, Phoenix, Anaheim, San Diego, and OMG West, of course, and UC Irvine, and finally, Redwood City. Wow, it's a lot. Yes. Very nice. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android, create an account, and instantly start chatting with somebody just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now on your mobile device, instapeer.org. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer's expensive. Check out cancermademebroke.com. That's cancermademebroke.com. Com, our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMaybeBroke.com to learn more and start your medical fundraiser today. 
Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new stupid cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your stupid Stupid cancer Cancer news. Nick Ross, actor, producer, whose cancer diagnosis at age 26 didn't just change his life. It turned his life into his art. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Nick Ross. Hello, sir. Hello. You know, I realized something. You came to CancerCon this year, and I didn't see you. I just saw photos of you in the aftermath. Like, Nick was there? How did they not see you? Was I? I yeah. I think I was there. That's, I mean, I think I was in Colorado that weekend, but I don't know that I was there, so I might have been in the background of some bar or something. No, I saw pictures of you. I'm fairly sure really? I saw pictures of you. Unless you I came to OMG it. East. Might be a doppelganger with really great cheekbones. No, I got, all right. I'm gonna. I'm on a challenge here on the air. This on is a challenge. Chemo brain versus chemo brain. I'm gonna find a photo of you <laughs> at CancerCon, and you're gonna tell me that you have a doppelganger at our conference. Who's I swear. On first? Exactly. All right. That is my challenge to you on the air to find the guy that looks just like you, who came to CancerCon. All right. With that said, I do remember I did see you um, in New York. Right. You came here several times. Yeah, I, I've visited the office a couple times. It's, just, uh, it's always such a treat to talk to you guys. Yes, awesome. Well, anyway, uh, raised in Denver, you graduated your BA from the University of Colorado, so you are uh, of the ilk of our event and our conference. You know why we love the state and the city. Uh, Renault, you studied at the world-renowned Globe Theater in London. I saw you in London, didn't I, once, maybe? Is that it, too? <laughs> no, I uh, I studied there in college. I just did, like, a study abroad program that was Shakespeare-focused at the Globe. It was uh, pretty great. All right. Well, I'm just going to wrap up this whole show right now and say, <laughs> good night, folks. In any case, I'm really thrilled to have you on the air. Uh, let's talk about your life prior to being 26 years old. Uh, had you always awesome. wanted to be an actor-producer? Yeah, well, I... I sort of bounced around colleges. I went to a bunch of different universities not knowing really who I was. And then when I graduated in 2003, I moved to New York with a good buddy of mine and I got connected with the UCB Theater, the Upright Citizens Creative Theater. And I found a lot of success there and it really sort of gave me, uh, it sort of put comedy in my focus. And I, I really wanted to start making comedy and I didn't know quite how to do that. So I started doing some theater and then I started making some web videos and now I do kind of a hybrid of both of those. So what was life like for you a couple of weeks before your diagnosis? What were your symptoms? Uh, I It was fall in New York when I was getting diagnosed, and I thought that uh, the weather change was just kind of stressing me out, and maybe I was, like, getting sick, and I had some swollen lymph nodes under my armpits, and I uh, started having night sweats, and I never had them before, but I also just went through a breakup, so I thought maybe I was, like, having some sort of weird physiological like relationship fallout um uh but it took a little while before i ended up going i went to i think st vincent's is closed out there now right right yeah i went to st vincent's just the um pre-clinic so i didn't have any insurance or anything so i sat there and waited my number so uh, that that just sounds so uh inelegant and uh and uh i don't know like inhuman yeah, I mean it's 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 been uh, it, it, I couldn't put into words how uh, un 
expected all of that was in life. Um, and that's why I think I try to, after everything, to try to sort of make sense of it all. Well, I mean, you did something that uh, I, I find so um, endemic of our generation, which is you, you turned to humor and you leveraged your art to tell your story. Yeah. Uh, was that difficult to do or was it seemed to be like a really easy pivot? Uh, I think, well, the original show that I did, um, I did a show called Highly Evolved Human at the Upright Citizens for Gay Theater after I had gotten back from a year of treatment in Denver, Colorado. And I think I did it to sort of, A, for therapy, but also B, to sort of reacclimate into life in New York and to sort of um, let everybody know that I wasn't gone for a year just, you know, on sabbatical. I was like going through something pretty significant in my life. And so I was it was a it was a pretty cool theater show, and then making them into little films was something that I did out here a few years later. After um, uh, I think I did it kind of to honor my father and to uh, to maybe give these stories a little bit more of a platform. Right. I still thought that they were pretty awesome stories in my life. I remember watching one of your um, one of your web webisodes, and you're on a bus. Can you tell us about that skit? Yeah, that was actually just. Uh, the, the start of it all, I would say. Um, I was going through treatment in Denver, Colorado for Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I had lost all my hair. And I was sitting on a bus uh, in downtown Denver, and I noticed this guy sitting next to me uh, just staring at me. And I, I was kind of used to being the bald guy at this point, so I didn't think to engage him, but he engaged me. And he looked at me, and he asked me, he was like, did you shave your head because you were going bald? And I thought that it was such a, uh, a bold and invasive question. I thought that it was maybe like, uh, you know, like asking a lady if she's pregnant or something. It's just like, even if you suspect it, maybe it's not very polite to, to ask. Uh, but he didn't seem um, threatening or anything. So I just told him that I was going through chemotherapy. And this shocked him. And he didn't know what to say. So he, uh, he took a minute and then he just looked at me and he was like, I'm an AA man. And I think he just wanted to relate right. something that he was going through. Exactly. So tell us about presenting your uh, your series to Soul Pancake. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it was cool. Um, well, I made, uh, in 2000, summer of 2014, I made three of my stories from the theater show into little short films. Um, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with them. I think that's when you and I first met, actually. Because a, a mutual friend of ours was like, you should see this guy Nick's videos that he just made. Um, and then I think we connected in New York. Uh, but basically, I made these short films, and then I was screening them around town in L.A. Uh, and someone came up to me at one of the events and was like, you should be on Soul Pancake. And I looked up Rain Wilson, who's the sort of figurehead of Soul Pancake. And I found that he was with an agent at WME that I knew personally. And so I wrote that agent, and he connected us. And uh, Soul Pancake licensed the series, and then we were able to produce more. So now there's 11 episodes of the series on Soul Pancake, which is such a great audience for the show because it's sort of um, life-affirming, you know, like big question kind of uh, stuff, and it's all really positive. So it really was a natural fit. So tell us how you come up with the content for this. I would imagine most of it's just derived from life experience, but does it get augmented through the lens of your cancer, or is there a point where it just becomes, hey, you're just Nick and doing great stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's document. I mean, it's like this weird hybrid of autobiography, but also um, short story narrative. So some of the stories 
have um, they're all autobiographical in like their base, um, um, and then some of them are a little bit more theatrical. Like some of them, I know there was one uh, that was all about sort of what I would like the future to be and how like it would be great if no one had cancer. But then this alternative theory that if everyone had cancer, then everybody would be so much easier with the subject. Um, so I sort of fictionalized both those scenarios comedically and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a cool series to make. I hope to make more and more. I feel like it's uh, it has a little small but growing following, and I just hope to continue to be part of this conversation. Well, I mean, we can't mention Saul Pancake and not mention Kid President. That's a, that was a big, yeah. a big deal right there. Really big deal. I know. Kid President. He's the best. He's about to be uh, adolescent president too. <laughs> <laughs> Prepubescent president. Let's make that a hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you these days now? How many years out are you? And uh, are you uh, still getting checkups? Are you still having scansiety? Uh, how is life uh, for you? In relationship to cancer, where am I? Yes. I uh, I have been um, in remission, I guess. I don't know if that's what I call it still, but for eight years. It was 2008 when I went through all my treatment. Um and I went through, I got scans for the following few years after that. And then lately I haven't, I mean, the last three or four years, I probably haven't even been to the doctor. I kind of trust my body and I've been living a pretty health, healthful life. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to ask the question, we, we get a lot of this, believe it or not, young adults who are artists, musicians, actors, uh, thespians, uh, musicians of all different ilks and how they leverage their creativity often truly makes all the difference. Instead of crying in the corner, you make light of it in general, but if you happen to be able to stand atop some talent and create content around what that looks like, it changes the way that the people perceive what you're going through. But my question is, on the flip side, do people just presume that you're well and you're fine? Did you go through that for a couple of years? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know. I kind of think of it like uh, creativity in, in, in my understanding usually comes from the adversities and the challenges that we face. And so to have such an acute and, um, uh, you know, intense like period of adversity in your life, which cancer often is, um, I think it's like inevitable that it's going to become the basis for so much of your creative experience and where you draw from to sort of reach into the depths of your own humanity. Um, that was deep, yeah, by the I way. That was about the deepest thing we've ever said on the show. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's give me like a bell or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you this. Um, How's that? Yeah. <laughs> was that a Homer dough? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. That's good for our generation. So um, I guess another question is, so you're living and breathing on Squarespace, and is it uh, uh, YouTube? Where is the content housed largely? Yeah, it's all on Soul Pancake YouTube channel, which is um, one of the original partner YouTube channels. They have a lot of subscribers, and you can find it just by, I'm sure, searching Highly Evolved Human Series. Um, but Squares, this is a cool series because this is their first, kind of narrative series that they ever uh, subsidized, like sponsored on a channel. So they didn't really have any creative involvement. They just sort of 
trusted us to create good content, and um, it was a really great partnership. No, so we're, we're enamored with Squarespace. Kenny has pretty much built our entire infrastructure on it, and he just went to visit their offices, and he's going to be inter- interviewing with them about content. They do some really great work. I'm really inspired by the fact that they're, they're taking that kind of direction for visibility. Uh, you are going yeah, think, to... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I think it's really cool what they're doing. I think they really seek out innovative and uh, you know, like aesthetically driven people, and I feel like it was a really big honor to... Because I'm I'm pretty particular about the look of the series. I want it to look very cinematic, and, um, and you know, like there's a lot of thought put into the aesthetic of the show. Because I think it really helps present the idea if you present it in the prettiest way. So we are um, okay. We we are um, talking about oftentimes um, how your personal brand is affected by cancer, which you had prior to being diagnosed did you learn anything through that process about how you carve that into your narrative and how it might affect you positively or negatively uh personal brand um trying to put my head around this idea like how um like how the public relates to you kind of who i am yeah like did you get pity did you get more followers did it tie into any other thing that you couldn't have possibly anticipated and does having had it and being public about it inhibit or jeopardize opportunities down the road for you in this career path? Right. Yeah, actually, I did an episode about this, about the, the identity of the cancer survivor and how I always find it kind of funny how it, it comes up uh, all the time. Like, it's, it, I just find myself as sort of like a, a public figure in the young adult cancer world. Um, it's inevitable that it comes up because it's it's important and it's something that I care about a lot. Uh, I, I don't think I would ever be like it's inhibiting my progress as an artist or as a creator. Um, cause I think if anything, I would always uh, advocate for telling your personal story and sharing with the world what you've been through. Cause I think in any context, it's, uh, you're going to find people that relate to you and, and find people that bring or that, that maybe are scared to, you know, reveal something about themselves that ultimately will get empowered by your story. Um, I think that storytelling is a wonderfully empowering uh, trait. <laughs> no, and we've—I feel like we've come full circle on that. It used to be blogs, and then those went away. And then it was all like social, and now it's—we're back to storytelling, but through social. And and I'm really fascinated to see it come full circle that the humanity of all these things is really becoming more important than the superficiality of just telling people you're taking a dump on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, are you <laughs> are you on Twitter, and do you use Twitter at all? I have an identity, I think, on Twitter and Instagram, but I'm so poor at going on. I think it was uh, it gained popularity after I was sort of um, frustrated with social media, and I haven't quite bought into it yet. Um, I enjoy it, but I'm not that active on it. I feel like it's something that you got to be really active on to gain any sort of following or any sort of presence. Got it. Uh, so you're not like a social junkie. It mainly just lives on... Um on uh, your your platform. Wait, wait, let me ask yeah. you, where did highly evolved human first come from? I mean, I could probably make my uh, my assumptions, but it, it, it just sounds so snarky awesome. Yeah, like the, the title of the show? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually, I was uh, video chatting. While I was in treatment, I was video chatting with a comedian friend of mine uh, in New York, and he was looking at me with, you know, like with no eyebrows and no hair. 
And he was like, wow, Nick, you really look like some sort of highly evolved version of the human being. There's <laughs> <laughs> like evolved past the need for, you know, <laughs> to have any body hair. Um, and it really, it sort of struck me. I thought it was really funny. Uh, but I also kind of like the, the snarky, um, memorable quality of it. Cause I do think that, um, uh, the, the nature of adaptation was very big. Like that was a big theme in all of my stories, how, right. um, I don't know that culturally we've adapted to how big cancer is in, uh, in like the human race. And I feel like for it to still be so scary and so like, uh, shocking, um, Maybe we need to evolve a little bit. Uh, we need to adapt to it a little bit more. You have a wonderful sentence on your website, highlyevolvedhuman.com. Every young person who has had a cancer experience carries with them a unique and remarkable story. We've all endured life-changing adversity and become beacons of hope to others touched with this disease. Not everyone comes to the table a highly evolved human. What is your advice or recommendation to people about telling their story about journaling, about keeping track of what happens. And if you're not inherently an actor who went to, you know, went, went to, uh, you know, Upright Citizens Brigade per se, how can people harness their, the power of their own story in an effective way, in your opinion? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I think this is very important. I think this is one of those uh, things that all of the social world that so many young people are so connected to. Uh, it's why it's so empowering. Cause I do think that in any context, like be it a private journal or a public blog or a public, you know, Twitter, Tumblr, any way to sort of story tell, there's so many applications now that can sort of fit the best that can uh, give you the best fit for your own personal form of storytelling. Like I tell short videos because I've, you know, made a living for a number of years making sort of internet content. So I kind of have an awareness of internet content. Um, but I think that, I don't know, it's just so, it's so freeing to sort of share your, your dark stories. Cause I do think that those are the stories. Like when I just read some quote on, on writing an autobiography and how important it is to tell the deepest, darkest secrets of your life, just because those are probably the most interesting. Like so much of our shame in our life comes from the things that we think we shouldn't tell people. Uh, when like so much of our peace in life is sort of found through sharing those things with other people. Cause it's hard to be a human, right? <laughs> uh, Yogi Berra rest his soul is on the record saying if life were easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. <laughs> I know you want to give a shout out to your cast and crew there. The, uh, the, the heart and soul behind everything you do. Why don't you uh, do that? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, big shout-out to Nate Smith, who directed both the, um, the theater version of the show and all of the internet shorts so far, and he has just been incredible. And the uh, the DP, who is, uh, there's been three directors of photography, um, George Nine-Ice, who's incredibly talented, uh, Ed Lucas, and Kyle Fallon, and they all just brought such remarkable talents to the show. Um, yeah, and then Alex Ruger, who's an awesome composer, who did all the composing for the last eight episodes which I love. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's it. There's, there's so many people that have worked on the show that I feel bad not mentioning everyone, but I feel, I feel like the holding to those individuals. No. And I, again, coming from that world in a sense, I, I did theater for a couple of years in undergraduate. I know how hard it is for the whole team to come together. And the idea of forgetting somebody is torturous, but it, they do deserve recognition because you're part of a family and you're doing amazing work. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
No, and I, I thank you. Um, I look forward to seeing you again at some point, and I wish you good luck with everything. Anything you'd like to plug besides, obviously, the series, com, and is it youtube.com slash soulpancake, or what's that URL for the videos? Yeah, they're all on Soul Pancake's YouTube channel, which is easy to find. I think it's probably youtube.com backslash soulpancake because they're a pretty big channel. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, check it out. There's all the stories of sort of my diagnosis and my reflections on my cancer identity. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all great. I feel like, yeah. Well, happy well, like, eight-year cancerversary. Keep up the incredible work. Nick P. Ross, actor, producer, cancer diagnosis at age 26. Changed his life into art. He uh, blogs. He writes amazing uh, series on uh, highlyevolvedhuman.com and on YouTube at uh, on the Soul Pancake channel. Nick, thank you so much again. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for including me. Okay, bye. Have a great one. All right, Kenny. The time has come for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 365th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Ariel Donovan and Nick Ross, for joining us. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck on behalf of my team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, everyone. Hey.